In 2015, I had I was having a conversation with a friend, and he uh, and, and through this conversation, I learned that he was very involved with an orphanage and school in India. And I was and about a year before that, I had met the director. Her name was Rosie, and and Anand, just wonderful, wonderful people. And in that encounter, it was just fun learning about what was there. Well. Then John, a few months later, said, Gary, why don't you go to India with me? And I went, mm, no, I'm good. Thank you very much. Now, I didn't say that. That's what I thought in my, you know, kind of in my, in my mind. Because India was one of those places that I really didn't have a great desire to, to go. And I never thought I would have the opportunity. Well, as it turned out, uh, that invitation continued. And long story short, in February 2016, I went to India. And it was, an ex- it was one of those trips that just ruined me in every way. I-, I fell in love with the country. I fell in love with the people. I fell in love with what God was doing at that orphanage. It's a town in southern India, a town of about a million and a half people. The orphanage and school is about two hours, out, about an hour and a half or so outside the city in a beautiful rural community. Well, in the midst of that, I had the opportunity to minister to the students one probably the highlight of the trip, there were a lot of highlights, but one of the highlights of the trip was the opportunity I had to pray with each one of the children individually. They had 130 children in the orphanage, and I said, Rosie, I'm happy to do it. So they just lined up and prayed for all of the kids one at a time, and on either side, the boys were on one side and the girls on the other, and the whole time I was praying for an individual, uh, the, the, other, the other children who were waiting were just standing, standing just absolutely still, with their hands folded, but they weren't, they were present in the moment, and here's what they were doing. As I was praying, they were praying, because I'd look up, and I'd see them, and they were just pouring out their lives. It was just, it was just a marvelous moment. Also had the opportunity of doing some pastor's conferences and teaching, just to walk with some pastors. Well, one of those occasions took me to this little church in a town that was about, I guess, maybe two hours or so outside of the orphanage. And the picture that you'll see here is, is this church. Now, it's not a big building. And here I am with the pastor and his family. And what you cannot see in this picture, which is really what's significant, is just beyond the church, the road ends. At the very end of the road is this church. There is no further, you, you cannot travel any farther than where the church is. That's... The way, I, the way I have viewed it as I've studied this week is for this particular region, this particular moment in time, that is the ends of the earth. There's nothing farther than there. Yet this family faithfully serve the people of that village at this particular location. They have taken the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And that's what we're going to talk about for a few moments this morning. But when I think about that phrase, to the ends of the earth, I, I've just kind of hung on that phrase all week and really asked myself the question, what does it mean? So if you look at it logically, there is no such thing as the end of the earth. If I start walking now in a straight line and somehow could eclipse this entire planet, I'd end up exactly where I'm at today. There is no end. Because it's, it's a sphere. So, I mean, I get it. That's the practical side. But when you think about what the ends of the earth actually means, it's really the end of the road. 
And here's the definition that I've crafted, and you'll, you'll see it's not a technical definition, and, and if you are into language, this is not in any way, shape, or form a proper language, but here is that definition. The ends of the earth is that far away, off the beaten path, across the street, road less traveled, difficult to access, hesitant location, remote place where we may never go or desire to go. Now, I threw in every word I could think of to try and give us a glimpse or a picture of what the ends of the earth are. Because I think we have a, a particular sense of what we think it may be. But it's probably that and it's much more. It's the end of the earth. It's that remote place. It's the place, not unlike India for me, it was a, it was a place I didn't necessarily desire to go. I never thought, honestly, I would ever have the opportunity to go. But yet, I was in this particular area of the world. And at one particular moment on that trip, I was at my ends of the earth. There was no farther I could go in that particular area. Now, while that may not be a technical definition, all of us can understand what the ends of the earth might mean to us. And, you know, when you begin to look at this phrase, the ends of the earth, it's really Jesus' way of saying the message of the good news is an all-inclusive message. It's not just a message for the Western world. It's not just the message for those of us who have all of the incredible blessings and opportunities that we have here in the United States. It is for more than that. It is not just to one region. It is at the expense of another. In fact, Jesus will say, and we'll read it in just a moment, he'll say, you take this message, you take it to Jerusalem. And I think the disciples went, okay, that's cool. I can do that. Going to go to Judea. All right, that's not a problem. Samaria. Wait a minute. Samaria? Really? Well, maybe, maybe. And then he adds this, and to the ends of the earth. And they go, what? Are you kidding me? How is that going to work? What in the world? What? And for us, here's what it looks like. We start talking like this. You go, Temecula? I got it. Not a problem. I can even go to Mary. I can even go to Marietta. I can do that. I can even do my Judea. I can go to Riverside County. I got it. Not a problem. Samaria. Well, let me think about that. Because Samaria, Samaria would mean people that don't look like us. People that are from an ethnic background that aren't like us, from an economic status that don't look like us, and, or they're the ones on the streets that have tremendous difficulties and challenges. And Jesus has called us to take the good news to these folks is one, you go, well, okay, maybe. And then the ends of the earth, and you go, whoa, 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 whoa. I can't go to Africa like Scott and Karen Hansen did. I, India, no way. I'm not even sure I could go to Los Angeles. The, the, <laughs> the, point, the point is, the ends of the earth become something overwhelming to us. And each step of the way, you see that the good news of Jesus was to be presented and given to everyone, not at the expense of another. It's all-inclusive. It's equal opportunity. But here's the truth, and I think we would all know this. The task of taking the good news to the ends of the earth is huge. It's not, it's not a small task. In fact, to say it better than I could... 
Turn your attention to the video screen. Jesus told us 2,000 years ago that our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. He also promised us that only after we accomplish that task will we receive the blessing of his return. So, how are we doing accomplishing our mission? To answer that, let's classify the 7 billion people on the earth today into three groups. Let's start with the Christians. About 33% of the world's population would identify itself as Christian. We call this segment of the population World C, C for Christian. It's important to remember that not all of the people that fall into World C are true believers in Christ. They merely identify themselves as Christian because of nominal belief in Jesus or because they live in a country where everyone is considered Christian, so they would do the same. Next, there's the 38% of the world that has access to the gospel but has chosen not to follow Jesus. They have Bibles in their language, churches nearby, friends or co-workers who are potentially Christians, or access to other Christian resources in their language. These people have access to the good news, but just haven't acted on it yet. This segment of the population is called World B. That leaves us with 29% of the world, just over one out of every four people on this planet who not only have never heard of Jesus, they have no chance of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. They have no access to the gospel, no Bibles, no churches, no believers nearby, no chance to learn about Jesus. We call that 29% World A. Now on to missionaries. Only one out of every 1,800 Christians in World C decides to serve as a cross-cultural missionary. So, we can pull 400,000 missionaries out of that World C population. That's our total cross-cultural missionary force worldwide. Did you know that 72% of all our missionaries are going to World C? That's right, the vast majority of the missionaries being sent out are going to the people of the world that have Bibles and established churches. 25% of the missionaries are sent to World B, where there is already some access to the church and to the Bible. That leaves only 3% of the total missionary force to handle all of World A, the section of the population without any chance of hearing about Jesus. 29% of the world has no way to hear the gospel, but we're sending only a tiny portion of our Christian workers to them. What about finances? Annually, all those Christians in World C earn a total of $42 trillion. And together, they give about $700 billion to Christian causes each year. That includes everything. Christian nonprofits, churches, youth programs, missions, etc. Can you do the math? Less than 2% of Christian income is being given to Christ's causes. Out of that 700 billion given to all Christian causes, only 45 billion is given to missions specifically. That's a little over 6%. In fact, there is more money reported embezzled from the church each year than is given to missions. Remember those 400,000 missionaries? We have $45 billion to support them and their cross-cultural work. But how exactly is it allocated? Well. $39 billion goes to World C every year. Yep, 87% of that mission's money is being spent in areas of the world that have Bibles and churches available. $5.4 billion, or 12%, goes to World B each year, those that have access to the gospel message but have rejected it. That leaves only $450 million, or 1% of all mission's money, going to World A, the least reached people of the world. To put that into perspective, 
annually Americans spend more money on Halloween costumes for their pets than get sent to World A. To summarize, only 3% of our missionary force, armed with only 1% of missions giving, is going out to reach the 2 billion people who don't have access to the gospel. 2 billion people are still waiting for the good news of Jesus Christ. So here's a question for you. What are you going to do to change that? It's powerful, isn't it? When you begin to see the size of the task. But does it mean that it can't be done? No. We're going to talk about that for a while this morning. So turn with me, if you own your Bibles, to Acts chapter 1. It'll be on the screens. It'll also, it's also in your program. I always encourage you to bring your Bibles, turn there, always make notes in the margins. Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven to giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God on one occasion while he was eating with them. He gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And he said this, after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, and when suddenly two men dressed in white beside, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Father, I pray you'll speak to us this morning from your word. Challenge us in Jesus' name. Amen. Four things this morning on how the ends of the earth can be reached. The first, the ends of the earth can be reached by our obedience by our obedience. Obedience is something that literally is on every page of Scripture. Now, that's, I know that's an, over, an overstatement, but my point is, is that from cover to cover, obedience is something that we as followers of Christ, we have to come to grips with. Now, I'm faced with obedience every morning, every day, just as you are. When I come out of my garage, get, I get in my car, get out of my garage, and I start driving. I'm going to be obedient to that 25-mile-an-hour speed limit through my neighborhood. Some of you, I didn't say all of you, some of you will be obedient to that same law. Now, we're expected to be obedient to that, and honestly, we don't think much about it. When we see that sign, that's what we do. We're obedient to it. Obedience is something that is absolutely mandatory for us as followers of Jesus Christ to see the ends of the earth reached. Now, when Jesus says to his disciples, he tells them this simple phrase. He said, look, stay in the city until you receive power. Now, they were obedient to that very simple command. And on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God was outpoured. They were empowered then to be his witnesses. They were obedient. And out of that obedience, we can learn 
what our responsibility is as well. Go back to what Jesus said prior to the day to that particular command. In Matthew chapter 28, he says, so go and make followers of all people, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Mark 16. Then he said, go into the world, all the world. Go everywhere and announce the message of God's good news to one and all. Luke 24, he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who would repent. You are witnesses of all these things, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the... Until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. After In John chapter 20, after Jesus had greeted them again, he said, I am sending you just as the Father has sent me. In each of the gospel accounts, Jesus is very clear. There is something that I want you to do. We are to be obedient to the call of God on our lives to take the good news to the ends of the earth. And at the same time, we don't ignore Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. But we're commanded to do it. And I would just ask of myself, am I being obedient to what Jesus has said? The disciples were obedient and God rewarded them with an outpoured spirit and the power to be able to accomplish the task to which he had called them. Our ends of the earth, our ends of the earth may look different than that little village in India. It may have a completely different definition for you. Jesus said, remember, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. It's all of the above. It is not one left out for the sake of another. And just so that we're clear, listen to this very clearly, very closely. We have no liberty, we have no liberty to stop sharing the good news of Jesus until both ends have been reached. Until our Jerusalem is reached and the ends of the earth is reached. We have no liberty to stop until that is accomplished. Matthew 24, 14, when we're obedient and we do what God has called us to do, then we can expect in the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. There is an extraordinary reward for us as we are obedient. Second, the ends of the earth can be reached through focused priorities. Through focused priorities. It's interesting. Jesus is having this dialogue with his disciples. And they ask this question, Lord, are you going to restore your kingdom at this time? Now that question's a loaded question. And Jesus answers it. But he answers it in really a sense of a rebuke. He rebukes them really in three different ways. Because there are three, senses of, three misunderstandings here. The first was their misunderstanding about the kingdom of God. They thought that Israel was going to come back into political prominence. And Jesus said, nope, that's not it. Missed it there, guys. Then they ask you, well, is this the time? Is the time and the date? And he says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates. What is that all about? When Jesus returns, you know, we're still doing that today. We're still trying to figure out when Jesus is coming. But it's not, and that was their misunderstanding. And then the third was the scope of what he was asking of them. You have to understand, this is, these are 11, these are 11 Jewish guys. So he's talking about taking the message of the good news. In their thinking, They're not thinking ends of the earth. They're not thinking Samaria. Or if they are, they're thinking, I'm just going to go talk to my other Jewish brothers and sisters somewhere. They didn't fully comprehend the scope of what Jesus was asking. And so he rebukes them. He said, no, that's not what this is all about. So out of that, there are three observations I leave with you. The first one is this. Our highest priority, 
Our highest priority is to be focused on Jesus, not the task to which we are called. It is so important to understand that, and we can get those flipped. We can get so overwhelmed and so captivated by the task that he is asking of us, we forget Jesus in the mix of it all. Henry Martin, who was a a pioneer missionary, Henry Martin only lived to be age 31, uh, back in the 18th century. He He took the gospel to India. He translated the scriptures into a number of dialects in India as well as into Persian. And this is what Henry Martin wrote. He said, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. And the nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. Understand the the power of that phrase. The closer we come to Jesus, we see his heart for people. We understand his compassion, his love, his sacrifice. And you see, we move away from just the task and we focus our priority upon Jesus and everything changes. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number two, this is from the Amplified, said, looking away, looking away from all that will distract us and what? Focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author, perfecter of faith. The first incentive of our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity, who for the joy of the accomplishing the goal set before him, endured the cross, disregarding the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, revealing his deity, his authority, and the completion of his work. We are to be focused on Jesus and this one simple phrase. Remember this, let's not become so immersed in the work of the Lord that we forget the Lord of the work. And it is so easy to do that. We can get so wrapped up in the task for which we are, what we are doing, we forget Jesus in the mix of it all. He is to be our priority. The second observation is that we must rekindle an urgency regarding the need of our world, because the time is short. There needs to be an urgency. You know, I I think about this. The the reality is is that we just forget the need, and and that's why that video is so powerful. It shows us the need that, that is within our world, but you add to that that Jesus is going to return. Crossroads Church, understand this. It's not a matter of if. It's just a matter of when. Jesus is coming again. And it needs to create an urgency in us to share the message with the incredible need that's there. Now, let me just illustrate it to you this way. When I went to India, I had the privilege of, really, it was, it was amazing. I had to fly on a Boeing 787 Dreamliner. I want to tell you, it is an, it's an amazing aircraft. About 330 passengers or so in the, uh, in the aircraft. And it is, a, it is a beautiful plane. Well, think about it this way. If we went to bed tonight, everything good, and we got up tomorrow morning, we checked our news feed, and we found out that overnight, 45 Boeing 787 Dreamliners had crashed, killing everyone on board. About 15,000 people we would be overwhelmed with sorrow. There would be all kinds of reporting going on all around the world. I mean, it would just be, it would be you know, off the charts. You know what happens when those kinds of crises occur. So we, we go to bed. We get up the next morning, we find out the same thing happened. The next morning, the same thing happened. The next morning, the same thing happened. And again, and again, for 365 days straight, 
there would be outrage. There would be Senate and, and congressional hearings. Reporters would be going off the rails trying to get this figured out. There would be blame being pushed everywhere. There would be all kinds of initiatives to make sure it happens. But the reality is today in the next 24 hours, 15,000 children will die from preventable causes around this world. And where is the outrage? And that will happen every day for the next 365 days. Is there an urgency? Do we really have a, a sense of, I've got to do something? I don't say that to put us in a position of feeling guilty, but rather to stir up the urgency within us. God, help me make a difference. Matthew 25 talks about, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And Jesus would answer, when you do, when you do those things to the least of these, you do it to me. It's our responsibility. And do we have a sense of urgency? Or, or, or should I say this, God help us, God rekindle Fire up one more time the passion for people who are lost without hope. There are two billion people who have no opportunity yet to hear the good news of Jesus. And add to that the fact that one day soon Jesus will return. Second Peter chapter 3, it's important for you to understand what will happen in the last days. You notice the language, not what might happen. What will happen? People will laugh at you. They will live following the evil they want to do. They will say, Jesus promised to come again, but where is he? Our fathers have died, but the world continues the way it has, has been since it was made. But the day of the Lord, but when the day of the Lord comes, again will surprise, but the day when the Lord comes again, excuse me, will surprise everyone like the coming of a thief. There should be an urgency. Now, now understand something. Jesus rebukes them because he says, it's, it's not for you to know the time or the dates. It's absolutely appropriate for us to, to expect, to live in an expectation of the coming of the Lord. But we are not to be overly inquisitive to the point where it distracts us from what God has called us to be and God has called us to do. It should drive us. It should drive us to take this message of the good news to the ends of the earth. And the third observation is life's challenges and distractions can cause us to lose sight of our responsibility to the world. This is hard for me. And I think it's hard for you. And let me explain that. Can I just tell you, I love my life. I love my wife. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. I love the opportunity that I have to be your pastor. I love where I live. I love the things that I get to do, the opportunities that I get to travel from time to time. I love that. And if I'm not careful, these can become the distractions that keep me from accomplishing the responsibility that I have as a follower of Jesus Christ to share the good news. Now, do, do we understand that? 
You see, the four four scriptures that we read from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were done purposefully. That is to reinforce the fact that we are called to go and take this message of the good news to our Jerusalems, our Judeas, our Samarias, and to the end of the earth. In my normal life, as good as it is and as much as I love it, and I am so blessed, we are blessed to have it, Understand, it can distract us from the responsibility that we share. And it should not. The missionary vision, the missionary vision is usually inconvenient, for it places on us many demands to which we must respond, and that it is not for our benefit, but for others. And you see, that's exactly what happens. We become so self-centered, and we're, I'm there. I am not saying this to anyone other than me. I become so self-centered. I become so overwhelmed with me and my pleasure and all of the things that I do and my priorities, and I want to accomplish this, and it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me, but the reality is I still have a responsibility to be obedient to God and to get my priorities focused correctly upon Jesus and to take this good news to the ends of the earth. All of us do. All of us do. Luke 18 says, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, all those who have left houses, wives, brothers, parents, or children for the kingdom of God, I love this, will get much more. What? In this life and in the age that is coming, they will have life forever. There is extraordinary blessing for us as we are obedient and we focus our priorities on that which is important to Christ. And one last thought, Jesus' last command should be our first concern. Jesus' last command should be our first concern. Number three, the ends of the earth can be reached through supernatural power. I graduated from high school. I was kind of nominal in my faith. It's probably the best way to say it. I, I knew that at age 14, I, I knew God had called me to ministry. I knew that. But nominal, at the three and a half years later, I was just kind of wondering. And I'm wondering, not wondering. I think maybe both, a little bit of both. And I was focused on other things. I was going to be a teacher. I was going to be a coach. That's what my life was going to be. Well, God got a hold of my life after graduation very significantly and very supernaturally. And I surrendered to that call. And here's, here's what I guess, as I look back, here's what I would say. How in the world am I ever going to do this? I mean, yeah, I knew ministry because I'd grown up in it. That wasn't the point. I mean, I, but maybe that was the point because I saw my dad and mom go through all of the junk they went through, constantly criticized for everything they did, the way they lived, where they lived, the car they drove, the way they drove, I mean, everything. It was just nonstop. And I thought, why am I going to submit myself to that? I don't want anything to do with it. But God said, no, this is what I want you to do. And so I said, Lord, okay. And I got to think, I said, how in the world can I do this? How can I do a wedding? Well, maybe I can do a wedding. What about a funeral? One of the first funerals I ever had to do was for a baby. How do I do that? How do I stand week after week and preach? How do I do that? How do I deal with, board? how do I deal with criticism when it just is nonstop? How do I deal with the emails and the letters that I, what in the world's going on? How do I do all of that? Because I saw my mom and dad do it, and I didn't know what to do with that. 
There's only one way that I can do what I do, and there's only one way you can do what God is calling you to do, and that is through the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. There is no other way. There's no other way. See, he gives three things. He gives you the words to speak. The Holy Spirit will give you the right words when the time comes. John 14, but the Holy Spirit will come and help you. The Father will send the Spirit to take my place. The Spirit will teach you everything and remind you what I said while I was with you. You see, it's not an excuse to be unprepared, but rather it is, it's the dependency that we have upon God to do what we're able to do. I'm not able to do this in my strength. And I'm going to tell you something. I was not able to stand in front of a family who had lost a baby and know what to say. How do you do that? There's only one way. God gives you the words to say when you need the words to say. Second, he gives us the ability to witness That word witness is interesting. I could spend a lot of time just talking about the word witness. It literally means to be a martyr. It's to lay down your life. That's what it means. To lay down your life, the ability to witness. Acts 1.8, we're empowered of the Spirit to be a witness. And I love this because what God has called me to do, hear this carefully. What God has called me to do, he may never call you to do that. But just as certainly as that is true, God has called you to do and to be what he has equipped you and will equip you to do. The gifts of the Spirit are the evidence of that. There is a fullness of the Spirit. When we we are overwhelmed by the supernatural power of the Spirit, the fullness of his giftings become ours. 1 Corinthians 12, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them. There are There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works, I love this, God works in different ways. But it's the same God who does work, the work in all of us. It's the one and the only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person needs. We need to depend upon the power of the Spirit of God. He will give you and I the ability to witness in the places that he has called you, whether that is Judea, whether Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or the ends of the earth. He will equip you. Supernatural power of the Spirit. And the third is the character, the character to influence. You see, gifts are wonderful, but Paul says it very clearly in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. In chapter 12, he talks about spiritual gifts. Chapter 14, he talks about spiritual gifts. In chapter 13, he talks about love. And he says this, if you don't have love, I'm going to re, redo it for just the sake of this morning. If you don't have the character of Christ, the spiritual gifts mean nothing. It's essentially what he says in 1 Corinthians 13. It's the the character of Christ. When you and I come to faith in Christ, something happens. We are transformed by the power of Christ. He implants in us. He pours out his love. Kiss this. He pours out his love by the Holy Spirit into our hearts. What is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love. And everyone that follows comes from love. The character. Your character is important when you have a conversation with your neighbor. The opportunity to, to talk with your gardener as he comes. Maybe, maybe it's the barista at Starbucks that you just, you just know they're having a crummy day. But they know there's something different about you because over time they have observed your life. He gives us the character to be an influence. 
In my home office, I have this little pillow. And here's a picture of that pillow. And it, it, it's something that I probably never would have purchased, to be frank. But it was in my dad's home office. And when, I, when my dad passed away, I was putting all of his effects together. And I found this. And I gave a lot of things away. I mean, as you might imagine. And, but I found this. And I kept it. And I have it on my desk. I want you to hear me. What I do, I cannot do without the strength of Christ. But it's no different for you. You say, Gary, I I don't have anything to offer. You know something? Neither do I. All I did was say yes. And God took it from there. Being obedient. Letting your priorities be focused on that which is most important, specifically Christ. And being empowered of the Holy Spirit, the ends of the earth can be reached. It's not out of the realm of possibility because understand Jesus said it very clearly, this gospel will be preached to the whole world, to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. So it's doable. It's doable. And God's calling us. And so the the fourth observation today or, or thought is the ends of the earth can be reached by active participation. It's not one person. It's all of us. It's all of us to those specific areas that God is calling you, calling me. And there are three ways we can do it. And then before I go into those three ways, there's, there's something that's so important. And back to our text in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said this. He says, and you will be witnesses. You notice the word will. That is a strong, strong word. It's not maybe. You might be witnesses. No, you will be. You will be. There's going to be something that's going to happen because of your obedience and your focused priorities and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You will be. There is a natural outgrowth. There's a natural response to what God does in our life. We will be witnesses. We will be. So how does that happen? Three ways. Number one, we can all pray. There's not a person here today that cannot pray. For God to do something extraordinary around our world and in you. Can I just encourage you in your, you should have received a bookmark that has all of our missionaries on it. I want to encourage you to pray for our missionaries every day. Pray for them. Even if you can't call out their names, God, just take this in your hand and say, in Jesus' name, be with them, resource them, protect them, give them favor in every country that they serve in Jesus' name. If that's all you do, God will honor that prayer. But maybe God will point you to somebody on this list. Maybe it's back to a Scott and Karen Hansen who were with us last week and say, God, in the name of Jesus, use them wonderfully. Pray. Pray. But also, can I, can I add to this? Pray for opportunities. Every one of us is going to have an opportunity, probably today or before this weekend's for sure, to be an influence, to, to share some good news Someone who desperately needs it. Pray for those opportunities. This Ephesians chapter 6, and I love the way Paul says this. And listen, look at this carefully. Paul says, pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray 
that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Pray in that way. God, give me words. Pray for our mission. God, give them words. Let them proclaim the good news of Jesus. Lord, give me the right words at the right time, at the right place. The second is that we must go. We must go. We need it. We can all pray. We must go. We must go. Now, I want you to indulge me for a moment. Parents and grandparents, hear me carefully. God wants to use some of your sons and daughters. God wants to use some of your sons and daughters. He may take them from the shores of America to a place that doesn't look anything like America. And you need to be their number one advocate and champion in the name of Jesus. You need to say, I'm with you. No, I don't want you to be separate. No, I want you to be with me. But if God has called you, go, 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 run. I will pray for you. I will be with you every step of the way. And you do it with a heart that says, God, they're yours anyway. And most of us have dedicated our children to the Lord when they were babies. They said, God, you can have them. You can use them. Take them and let it be so even now if God calls their life into something greater. Release them in the name of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Don't hold so tightly. Say, no, 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 no. And let me just go a little farther. Some students and young adults in this room, I believe that God has something for you far beyond what you think you are going to accomplish. There is something that God wants to do in your life and through your life that will blow people's minds, will blow your mind, but just say yes to God. If he's putting his hand upon your life, just say yes. Say yes. Say, God, I'll go where you want me. We used to sing it, God, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be what you want me to be. Let that be your prayer. I believe God has something for you greater than anyone could ever have imagined you will accomplish. Don't settle for just what is always expected or what is always done, but say, God, whatever you have for me, I am ready. My life is yours. Take it. Use it. I'm yours. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll be. I'll be. I'll be. He may take you to India. He may take you to Africa. He may take you to Judea or Samaria or Jerusalem. None, none is better or less than the other. Be obedient and follow. And then lastly, be generous. Be generous. Each of you should have this card in your hand. I'm going to ask you to take it. I wanted everybody to have one at least as a point of prayer. It's a prayer, this is a commitment card. It's a financial commitment card. I'm not going to pull any, they're, they're not going to try and hide that. This is a financial commitment card. But understand something. This is very important. Very important. Everybody looking this way. Generosity is not as much about money as it is about your heart. Money's connected, but it's also your time. It's also your talent. It's not just one or the other. It's all. You see, when I surrendered my heart to Jesus, he got everything. Everything. My talents, my resources, my time, it's his. That's the priority. So on here, there are different 
monetary designations. If you have already, if you've made a commitment in years past, renew that commitment with us. Or if God is saying, increase that commitment, do that. But I would, I want every, I'd love everybody to be a part of what we're doing for missions at Crossroads. And it's less about the amount and it's more about the participation. Because God can take a dollar a month and do something amazing with a dollar that he couldn't do with a hundred if, listen to what Paul says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Hear this, you must decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. It's not about that. Participate. God, here, this is what I have. This is what I have. What's God saying? This is a prayerful decision. This is not something, I'm, I'm not here to pressure. I'm not here to persuade. I'm here to invite. Because, catch this, God doesn't want something from you. God wants something for you. He wants your life to be a conduit of his blessing. And we are not blessed to just keep more. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed with more so we can, on all occasions, be generous to the ends of the earth. Fold the one part, that's the part you keep is the little part. You turn the other part back into us. That is only for us to have an idea. There is no name, there's no personal information on here. This is a, this is a response between you and God, nobody else. I won't know who gives what. It's not about that. It's about a response to God in participating with what God has asked us to do and to be. Would you consider giving something? And you can leave that with us today. The next couple of weeks, prayerfully consider and then turn that into us so we know how to continue to plan and budget for our missionaries. It's my goal, our goal, I shouldn't say mine, it's our goal, to be fully funded in missions. And what does that mean? It means about $50,580 a year. What that would do is take all of our missionaries and allow them to be supported at $100 per month minimum for every one of our missionaries. You see, we are a partnership we're a fellowship of 13,000 churches throughout the United States. We all contribute to specific missionaries and missionary organizations. And so we are partnering with the about 3 million other Assemblies of God folks in the, in the U.S. to send people, about 2,000 plus missionaries around the world. And those that are on that prayer card are the ones that represent us to the ends of the earth. Partner with us so we can partner with them. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. And I pray in these next few moments, you'll just do something miraculous in us as we come around the table of the Lord. Lord, let just solidify in us the, the blessing that we have in you. We thank you. Lord, continue to speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name.